thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. What is God like? Question mark. We think we know. We think we have it all worked out, all figured out. We live by our own circumstances because this happened to me. This must be what God is like. Because this bad thing happened, it must mean that God did that. Because this city got hit by a storm, must mean that God judged them. Because things didn't work out in my life the way I thought they would, this must be God's wrath. What is God's like? What is God like? It's very important we are able to answer that question today. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, asking the question, what is God like? I want us to approach this today in a way as though we don't know. I want us to look to Scripture and let the Word define what God is like. So just, let's just, as a good exercise this morning, let's just say, I don't know. Come on. That's much better. I remember one time I was teaching. I was actually teaching over at YWAM, teaching on, on spiritual warfare and walking through this thing. And so, you know, young people have all these amazing, great questions that are deep questions. And so I said, listen, before I answer that question, I'm going to teach you the three greatest words that will keep you humble, keep you learning, and keep you moving forward in God. So according about this question you just asked me, I don't know. And it's important that we say, I don't know. Because when you think, I know, and you always try to come up with an answer for a question you're actually not for sure about, you end up with the wrong understanding of what you're trying to answer or what you're trying to understand because you've created the definition yourself. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking at the parable, yours probably says, of the prodigal son of the lost son. But before we get into that, we are living in incredible times, you and me. Actually, I'm excited about the days we are in. I'm excited because things are happening. People are looking for truth. The world is flailing like an like a out-of-control toddler who didn't get the Skittles they wanted coming through the grocery line. We're, it's going nuts. It's kicking stuff over and screaming. And, and, and the parents like, oh, my gosh. Anyone ever have one of those? As, a, as an adult, do you do that? Sometimes, I do it sometimes, but I don't. And the world's going crazy, and people are like, what is going on? And everyone is using this term of God. All these religions use what? What? They say, God. Well, how does the world know what God is like? If this religion, a Muslim religion, says God is like this, and, and, and it's, it's the God of the terrorists who blow up planes and run into public places and shoot people and strap bombs to their body so they can kill the infidels because God tells us to. Therefore, that must be what God is like. Or is it the Hindu that, that, that worships like 300 million gods, but the most powerful one is, is uh, I believe it's Brahmin. And Brahmin then is this force that lives in everything and everybody, and, and, and you worship that. And so, it, is that God? Because they say that's God. Is it the deist that, that kind of says that God created the world, he shaped the world, and he kind of spun it like a top to just spin on its own, and he backed up, and he, he doesn't care, and he's just, his hands are clean. Well, whatever you do with the world, you just got to figure it out. Maybe it's like the New Ager that worships crystals and trees and 
grass and mountains and other things. And they say God is in all of us. So therefore, you could just end up worshiping them. That's a good deal. Now, that's, that's, that's a good deal. So if you're a new agent, if, if, you just wor- if you just worship and you realize I have a greater, then I think people should worship me. That fits most people well. But what is God like? So when we tell the world God loves you, is it the God of the Muslims? Is it the God of the New Ages? Is it the God of the Hindus? Is it the God of the Buddhists? Is it God of, what are you talking about? So it's important we know what God is like. I believe this with all of my heart. The church, this church, this church and the church around the world is responsible for communicating the hope of Jesus Christ and the reality of who God really is in the earth. I believe it. And so we must know, if we're going to tell someone who God is like or what he is like, we must know what Scripture says he is like. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to read it. It's one of my favorite passages because I can relate all along the way. Actually, Luke 15 has three stories that kind of just lays this, this incredible picture of what God is like. But we're going to be looking at this one story called the prodigal or the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But I would like to call it actually, uh, we're going to focus on the sons next week. This week, we're going to focus on the father. So I'd like to call this the parable of the loving father. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this state. In other words, I want what I want after you're supposed to be dead, so I would just prefer you dead, so give it to me now. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got together all he had, he got all of his inheritance. He, he, he put it all on, in his checking account, took his debit card, and he set off for a far, for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father's and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. His third statement, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on my boy. Put a ring on this young man's finger because I remember those hands since they were just a little baby. Put some sandals on his feet. I remember he used to go through sandals like crazy because his feet grew so fast all the time. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Listen to verse 24. For this son of mine was dead 
and is alive. He was lost, now he is found. So they began to celebrate. What an incredible story this is. And I believe it gives us a picture into what is God really like. Remember, these stories are to reveal about in a, in a parable, in a story, in an illustration, what God is actually like. You, you may spend your whole life living under an understanding of what God is like when it is not actually true. I remember the first time I, I understood this, this thing called grace. I'm telling you, I remember I was a teenager. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a, in, a, in, in a small town church. But I had this concept of God that he was this mean dude. That if I, man, if I screwed up, he would snuff me out like a match, just the end of a match. He'd just lick his finger, done. That's what I thought. And I was waiting for him to do this. I was always trying to please him. And I found out I couldn't please him, so therefore I just will forget it if I can't please him. So we need to look and see three important things about God, who he is, according to this passage that we just read, this parable that Jesus was telling us. The first thing is this. The God that we serve and the God that that we want to understand is this. He is a God who regrets our rebellion. In this this, uh, story, this is God. He regretted his son's rebellion. He wasn't like, well, fine, if you want to go and do that, you just go for it, you big idiot. Come crawling back to me once you figured out you just screwed up. He regretted it. His heart was broken. I mean, this young son, he, he said, listen, I, I want my inheritance. Now, his Jewish culture that the oldest son would get two-thirds and the younger son would, would get one-third. And so imagine the father actually had to go and sell. He had to parcel out his land. He had to sell some of their animals and, and gather the money to actually give to the, the younger son. So here you go, son. Here's what you, are, are you sure you want this? Do you really want Basically, what, what the son was saying is, I'm going to live my life from here on out as you, though you are dead, dad. I just, I want what you got. I don't want you. So he made the choice. So the son went off. And immediately the son takes his money and, and he runs. He walks out of the father's life and he heads off to the far country because he had seen some commercials that what happens in the far country stays in the far country. Get it, Las Vegas. Okay, anyway. I thought that was. Anyway, we'll move on. (laughs) So he took off. He got his, his pocket full of money. You know, he was ready for the journey. And we can tell, actually, as we read this, he was a rebellious child. But also we can read and see the way the father welcomed him back. That the father's heart was broken for the son. You can see it, and he welcomes, he opens his arms, and son, come on home. I think the father shed many tears about his, fa- his son's rebellious acts. Any, any parent here today understands what it feels like when your child chooses to go their own way. And you know the pain that's waiting for them down the road. We know it, and we shed tears, and we pray, and we cry out to God. The father in this story represents God himself. 
He's a loving father. And I'm going I'm to say something to you that may be controversial, but I believe this to be true. He's a loving father who will let you walk away from fellowship with him if you desire to. And if you see in here that, that this father's heart breaks, it's shattered. What does that show me? That God's heart can be broken too. He's not just up, up in, you know, what we say in the picture. He's up in heaven and, well, it's a shame you did that. And he doesn't feel anything. Where do you think you and I got our emotions to feel things from? If we were created in the image of him, where do you think we got our emotions? We got them from God. They're a piece of who he is in us. And if a parent's heart can be broken, guess what? God's heart can be broken. And then you have the prodigal son, or the lost son. Who does he represent? Now, some people say he represents someone who doesn't know Jesus. I, and I think in one way that is true, and we'll look at that next week. But in another way, he represents someone that's actually a part of the family already. He represents a Christian. He represents someone just like you and me. Maybe he represents someone in this room today. That you already have a relationship with God. That the Father, He is your Father. You've committed your life to Him. You know, something important for us to understand. And again, this may be a little controversial. And I understand if you don't agree with me, that's okay. I'd love to sit and talk to you about it. But the statement I'm about to say, I, I really believe it. You cannot, you cannot sever after you committed your life to Jesus, you cannot sever your relationship with God, but you can certainly break fellowship with him. You can certainly, and we see this in this picture of the son that belongs in the house. The whole time the son was away, he was still a son. He still belonged to the household. But he had left the presence and the favor of his father. Did you know Christians can do that? You know you and I can do that. We can step out of favor of the Father because we choose to go our own way. Has our last name changed? No, not at all. But we're walking now without any protection, without anything over us. We're stepping away from the favor of God. And we just, and, and, and that's the choice we've made. And we do that by making decisions about how we're going to live our lives. The whole time. The prodigal was away. Remember this. He was still a son. But once you become a Christian, God establishes a relationship with you. He's, he brings you into your family. Your last name has changed. You belong to him. He's your father. But if you choose to, if you choose to disobey the father, if you choose to go in your way, just like this son, he will, he will allow you to do it. He will never leave you. But if you walk out of fellowship with him, he will let you go. And so what, is, what do we see from this and the, the nature of who God is is this. He says this, I love you, so you are free to go. This is this free will choice that, that you and I can choose in this journey. The God of the universe has a message, I believe, for all of us today. He's saying, I love you, so you're free to go. God loves you so much, he will not force you to be in fellowship with him. If you're bound and determined to do something foolish, 
and walk out of, of God and a relationship with him, here, here's, here's the difficult thing. He will not stop you. You know, I've talked to several people throughout my life that actually have made terrible decisions. Some of them have cheated on husbands. They've cheated on wives. They put themselves in bad environments they know they should have never been in. They've ended up with addictions to substances that they never should have began. They've ended up in sexual sin that always led to more sexual sin. I talked to a man many years ago in the beginning of, of ministry. He came in my office. He sat down. And he began to tell me about the sexual sin that he had engaged in. And he sat there, and it was, oh, he was frustrated. And he made this statement that, I, that helped, it helped establish something in my mind about humanity and God. He said this, why didn't God stop me from doing that? Well, now he was living in the consequences of his sin. And, and though it, it was almost as though he was blaming God for letting him do that sexual sin. Well, God didn't stop that man the same reason he didn't stop Adam and Eve in the garden. He let them eat the fruit. It wasn't his will. It wasn't his plan. But he said he'd laid the parameters, but they chose to do it. God didn't stop it for the same reason he didn't stop David from having sex with Bathsheba. God didn't stop it for the same reason the father in this parable didn't fling him, himself across the, his son's door while his son's packing his bag and say, son, I'm not letting you leave this house. You're not doing it. You're not going it. He, he, for the same reason. Because this represents God. That's not God's nature. He loves you so much, he will allow you to make your own choices, even though he knows there will be consequences. Just as the father grieved because the son walked out, God the Father grieves when his children walk out of fellowship with him. It breaks his heart. People think, well, God doesn't care what I do. You better believe he does. A God who has the capacity to love as much as he does, and he is perfect, and, and you are not, and you love, and you have a large capacity to love. This God, his capacity is massive. Which means he also has the capacity to hurt just as much, or sorry, to hurt more than what you do. The greater the capacity to love, the greater the capacity to be hurt. So he is a God who regrets our rebellion. Second truth about this God, something that we need to understand is this. He is a God who runs to you when you return. This is the beauty. This is where you begin to see this, this powerful beauty of God. This son, he, you know, it didn't go very well in him, for him in the far country. He realized all the hype. He realized all the things that he thought his flesh wanted. After he had drunk from that cup, he realized it's empty and I'm still unsatisfied. And the cup was turned upside down. He thought, now what? He lived really high on the hog until one day he woke up sleeping next to one. <laughs> he said, this is not what I planned. Verse 13 actually describes what happened. It says that he squandered his wealth in wild living. Man, you could, there's a lot to be said about that one. With a pocket full of money, he headed straight to the casinos, the bars, the strips, joints. He blew all that he had. Before he could, he could stop it, it was gone. And then it says this later, it says, Jesus said he came to his senses and realized, actually, the servants in my father's house has more than I'm having. He came to the end of his rope 
busted, broken, and disgusted man. I can imagine one day he's watering the pigs and he leans over to water him and his hair's all matted and filthy. And, it's, and his face is just, you know, he's got pig manure on his face. And he stares and he says, did it really come to this? Is this really what I set off for? You know, it's interesting when we set off on a journey and make a decision about rebellion. I just want to go this way. We never, we never realize we'll end up in the pig's pen. We think we'll end up in the penthouse. But it's the pig's pen. That's the deception about all of this many times. That's how the enemy leads us and temptation leads us. All of this young man's father's had three meals a day. As much water and wine as he needed. I like to call this, it was the day the veil lifted from his eyes. This can happen in a pig's pen or it happens in the middle of our rebellion. Where you realize you don't belong in the situation that you're in. You realize, for you young people, you realize while you're standing in the middle of a party, I don't belong here. And the veil's removed. Well, you realize the situation that you're in right now, one day, all of a sudden, it slaps you across the face and you say, what am I doing? Or it's a relationship that you've been flirting around with, and then one day, it hits you like someone punched you in the gut, and you think about your wife, and you think, what am I doing? And the veil's removed, and you see it for really what it is. And it's that moment you begin to smell yourself. And the veil's removed. This son came to that same realization. But the son made a decision. I'm going to begin my journey back home. How does the father receive him? You know, interesting, there's a story of the Jewish rabbis at that time. Very similar to this one. The son wanted his inheritance. The son ran off and, and lived his wild living. And then the son decided to come back. But the father greeted him with crossed eyes. No, crossed arms. I don't know if his eyes were crossed or not. But he, he had crossed arms. <laughs> that was funny. The father greets him with crossed arms and a stern look on his face. And the son comes up and, and he says, son, I, I've sinned. He says, yes, you have. You're no longer welcome in this house. You no longer belong to this family. I am, I am severing our, our relationship. You're done. You made your bed. You lie in it now. You set your course. You figure it out. And it was, that story was tied to the Old Testament law that talks about rebellious children. 
Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey, his father and mother shall bring him to the elders and say, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men shall stone him to death. Now, some of you rebellious teenagers are thinking, that's a great verse. I like that verse. That's really good. Let's put that on a refrigerator and just have our children read that. I'm just kidding. Don't do this. This is not your life verse, parents. Not your life verse. Don't do this. <laughs> but that's the way the Pharisees thought this was going to end. So Jesus starts telling this story, and they're like, yeah, we've heard we know about this son. We know how it ends. That poor, that poor son or that son got what he deserved. But that's not the normal ending. Jesus begins to communicate about this God that, is, that, that they've never heard before. What? What do you mean? And he begins to tell this picture of the story of a father that every, every day the son was gone, the father's heart was broken even more. Every day the son was gone, the father was thinking, where's my son? What's he doing? I wonder what he's involved in. Oh, God, keep him from making really bad mistakes. Each afternoon, the, the sundown, he walked to the edge of his property. He walked to the porch, and he began to look for his son. Maybe this is the day he'll come back. This is totally different than what they were used to hearing. Jesus was now shaping the mindset and the reality of what God is really like. And this was blowing their minds. And all of a sudden, those rebellious ones who were sitting around Jesus listening to the story, as Jesus began to tell the story, at first they condemned themselves, that's me, I'm rebellious. And as God began to tell the story about a father who loves, who is waiting, who is searching, who is looking, who is going to the edge of his property, who is sending people out to keep looking for him, have you heard any word about my son? All of a sudden, their shoulders begin to lift. Their eyes begin to come up. And they begin to think, is it possible that God could receive me back again? He begins totally flipping the story of about God and who he is. And this father, one day, he looks far off and he sees a figure dragging along, coming up the road. Man, he remember, he watched that same boy go down there about, you know, a hundred times. He'd watch them walk and stand at a distance when he was young and just think, boy, I love that boy. Watch him skipping down the road and picking up rocks and taking his BB gun down there and shooting at cans. And Oh, I love that boy. And he'd watch him walk off. And he, I love the way he walks. And one day, he sees his bent-over figure dragging behind, looking defeated and broken. And he says, that can't be my son. But this is a father who's watched this son walk for years and years and years. And just like any good parent, you can, you can name your children by the way they walk as you've watched them. Something about him looks familiar. Can't be my son because when he left her, he had a robe on. He's wearing rags. My son left with sandals. He doesn't have any sandals on. But I believe that's my son. And he sees past all the filth on the outside, and he realizes, that's my boy. Verse 20 says, while the son was far off, his father saw him, which means his father was looking for him. 
He was filled with compassion. Doesn't say, say he was filled with, with frustration. Now he's going to give his son a piece of his mind after you've been thinking about it all this time. He was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The Greek word there, kissed him, mean he smothered him with kisses. He wouldn't stop kissing. Guess what? If you've been hanging out in a pig's pen, guess what you're going to smell like and taste like? This father didn't care. He was just, he was kissing the pig manure right off his face because what was behind the manure was more important than manure. And he smothered his son with love. And he welcomed him back. Jesus was saying that God, this God, the God that I'm talking about, is just like the father in this story. When you start home, I'll meet you halfway. When you start home, I'll meet you halfway. This is different than the other story. The other story is when you start home, I'll stand at the distance until you get your butt up to me. Then I'll tell you to get lost again. I won't make any effort to come towards you. But this story is different. This father thinks it's his son, looking for his son, and then runs to his son. And God, the incredible creator of the universe, will welcome you the same way, just as you are. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're doing, no matter what areas of rebellion you have in your life, no matter how much you try to hide it and fake it till you make it, God knows about it, and he's waiting for you to turn back to him. As I was looking at this, I began to examine areas of my own life that I've drifted from God. Not from my family heritage, but from my fellowship with the Father. Where have I allowed rebellion in my life? Listen, I'm not a pastor that's going to stand up here and tell you I'm perfect. Because I'm not. All of us have areas of our lives that we have allowed this fellowship My question that God asked me, and I want to ask you today, have you walked away from the presence of your heavenly Father, from the favor? Whatever we choose to do outside of God's plan is what's called sin. And when you sin, you're actually leaving, you're stepping outside of God's holy protection. That doesn't mean, are you going to mess up? Yes, you will. But how you respond to that mistake has everything to do with your protection. To know this, that God didn't walk walk away from us when we sinned. You walked away from him. The father in this story didn't reject the son when he chose to go his own way. The son walked his own way. The son stepped off the property. The son left his land for a strange land. The son began to live as someone else somewhere else. God's looking for your return. It's the heavenly father who's always looking for you. 
He has a message for all of us today with these tender words from a loving Father who adores you, has a plan for you. He's leading you. He's guiding you. He wants the best for you. He knows the things in your life. He says this, when you start home, I'll meet you more than halfway. Sometimes we, we start going down pathways in our own life that we think, you know what, I, I'll, I'll just take this step. And before you know it, you're really doing things you shouldn't be doing. And the enemy wants us to think that's, that's where we belong. You just need to stay there. You just need to stay there. Just keep sinning. Because we, it's very difficult for us to come back. Because we don't know. We don't know this. If I turn and start going home, will God meet me more than halfway? Because I don't have the strength to actually go there all the way. I'm so exhausted from my, from my life and some of these decisions I've made. I, I don't even know if I have the strength. And so our understanding of what happens, no matter where you are at today, when you choose, when you turn and go, I'm going to start going home. The moment that decision is made, God meets you. That's what God is really like. So we worship a God who regrets our rebellion. We worship a God who runs to us when we return. And lastly, we serve a God who restores you when you repent. This is what Jesus is talking about in this beautiful story. When the son finally came to his senses in the pig pen, this is what I read this, it broke my heart. It says that he began to rehearse really the story, what he's going to tell his dad when he sees him. He was already trying to work out, how can I, basically, how can I do the work to make sure that, and start working on my negotiations when I get back to, to dad so that he can accept me back in his family. And so he begins to work out his plan. This is what I'll do. Uh, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and then I'll tell him this, and that way he'll accept me back. And there's this, still this, this sense of self-effort. I will do this, and because of that, God or the Father will welcome me back. So he was going to his dad. He said actually three things in verse 21. Actually two of the statements are right. One of them is wrong. The first statement he said this, I have sinned against heaven. That's what he thought of. That's what I'm going to tell dad. I have sinned against heaven. That's right. Secondly, he said I have sinned against you. That's right again. Both those are right. Both those are necessary in beginning to step back under some of this favor Sometimes, sometimes there can be areas of your life that are under the favor of God and areas of your life that aren't under the favor of God. But these two things, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. One of the hardest things actually for people to say, for myself to say, for all of us, listen, you just have to be in a, in a relationship or just be alive on the earth is to say this, I was wrong, will you forgive me? It's very difficult for us. I was wrong, will you forgive me? But that's the key. That's what he was saying. But look at the third statement. This is the wrong one. He said this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is the conclusion of our mistakes. This is the conclusion of, of, of when we messed up. We just think, I'm no worth, I am not worthy to be called your son anymore. The enemy would love for you to believe that because then you will begin living as though you aren't his son or daughter. 
If he can get you to believe that one lie, then it will infiltrate itself into every other area of your life. Well, I'm not worthy to be, so therefore I must not be. Therefore, I'll live my life as though I am not. Now, on the outside, that sounds really good. Well, you know, at least there's repentance. At least there's humility. But here's the reality. In the first place, the son, he was never worthy to be called a son by his father in the first place. He was ready to ask his father just to make him like one of his servants. The point is this. He never deserved to be a son in the first place. It was all by grace in the first place. God chose you before you could do, you could do nothing to earn his love. He loved you anyway. It was called grace. You get God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what this grace thing is about. The moment you start thinking, I've earned it. I've earned God's love. Sorry. You never did. You have it, but you never earned it. What was amazing is the father refused to entertain. He, he entertained the first two things. I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. But he just ignored the third statement. I'm no longer to be your son. This is how the father responds to the statement. I'm no, I'm, I no longer deserve to be your son. Immediately, the father commands his servants. So the son comes in, Dad, I'm, so, I'm no longer to be your son. All right, son. Hey, servants, come here. Like he ignored it. Like, like son, yeah, that's a nice statement. That's not true. So, servants, come on over here. Bring the best robe. He took the beautiful robe, loving, and he lovingly placed it around him. And think about this for a second. And Matt, look where the son was. He was with the pig's pen. He'd been living just in the dirt, in the filth, in the, the pig slop. And that's what he was living. And he takes this beautiful robe that smelt like the father's house. And he wrapped it around him. He covered his filth, his dirt, his mistakes. He covered him up. And that's an incredible story how God covers our sin with the robe of his righteousness. His righteousness. We cannot cover our sins up with our righteousness. Because as Paul said, Paul was talking, man, Paul was the, he was the man. He said, my righteousness as, is as filthy rags. But his righteousness covers me. And then he does something else. You know, sons often wore a family ring. The family ring was to represent you belong to the family. It was you could actually do trade with it and use it as a wax seal that, to say we're good for the debt. It's, it's how you did it. You carried the ring because you were a, you were a member of the family. Not no one else. It, not very, no one else had it except for the family. And the son actually probably left with the ring, I would imagine. And he pawned it off along the way because he thought, I'm out of here. I'm going to live my life I've always dreamed of living. And the father, though, called him, put a new ring on his finger, symbolizing his full status in the family. He reinstated immediately. Slaves didn't wear shoes. Or sorry, yeah, slaves did not wear shoes, but sons did. So he says, hey, bring me some shoes. And he begins to put shoes on this, on this boy's feet. And I can imagine him standing back as we were reading earlier thinking, man, I remember these little feet that used to be. And now they're at this place. And man, this son, he is broken and hurting. But I'm going to put some shoes back on his feet. 
So he clothes him in his robe. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. And he restores everything that the son had lost. And then here's the bonus. He, he whistles for his, for his cattle handler. And he says, hey, bring the fatted calf. Get the barbie ready. We're, we're going to have us a cookout. Because the son that was lost is now found he ignored what the son said. I'm no longer worthy to become. He di- didn't even address it. He just welcomed them back. And here's the reality. Everything, and this is, I want you to hear this. Everything the son left looking for, he found back at the father's house. He didn't realize he had it in the first place. The Father says to us, I'll treat you as if you never left. You're changed. There are scars that you've picked up along the way that won't be healed until you go to heaven. But the Father treats you as though you've never left. Had some questions I want to ask you today, and I've asked myself as well, have you wandered away from God? The areas of your life. Are you willing to say, no matter what it is, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. Are you willing to return to him? If you are, he has a message for you. You ready? Here's his message to you. I'll treat you as you never left. If you'll turn back to me, I will meet you the moment you turn back. Ernest Hemingway, in his book, Capital of the World, you may have heard this before, but he wrote about a father in Spain who had a son named Paco. Because of his son's rebellion, Paco and his father were estranged. They were were separated. And the father was bitter and he was angry with his son and he kicked him out of the home. And after years of bitterness, the father's anger ended and he realized he had made a mistake. He began to look for Paco with no results. Finally, in desperation, the father placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper And the ad read this, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. Paco is actually a rather common name in Spain. And Hemingway wrote, when the father arrived the next morning, there were 600 young men all named Paco, waiting and hoping to receive forgiveness from their fathers and of their fathers. The reality is this, we are all in need of forgiveness. Jesus offers it. Look again at this, this passage of who Jesus was talking to. The audience, some were Pharisees and they thought they were sinless. They didn't need forgiveness. But there were tax collectors and other sinners as well. Lots of them. And Jesus was trying to tell 
all of them, that God is like the Father who will welcome you, who will love you, who will forgive you if you will choose to come to Him and repent. Whatever these areas are and whatever Jesus has shown you in your life today through this incredible parable, the Father is like this. And until you experience the understanding of a loving Father, you'll spend your whole life trying to earn His love. You'll exhaust yourself. You'll come up with plans and and charts and this is what I'll do for penance. This is what I'll do to, to, to... you know, so I can get back in God's favor and I'll do this, I'll jump through this hoop and I'll go serve there and I'll do this and, and maybe along the way then I'll maybe gain God's attention and he'll then say, oh, now that you've done that, you can come back. That is not the God of the Bible and it's definitely not the God that Jesus was speaking of. God's heart breaks when we rebel. My friends, it would be silly for me to stand up here and tell you that since I've been saved, I've never sinned. You would say, well, you're a liar. But how often do we even say that in church? We all look right, walk right, right, you know, carry this and carry our Bibles together. We're just, it's wonderful. But it's important for us to understand, I need Jesus every day of my life. When I get out of line, I need to know, oh my gosh, I'm coming back to you. I live under the favor of God. I live under relationship with God. So when there are areas of my life that get just a, just get a hair off, he tells me, he shows me. And I can write that and come right back again and say, Lord, I've sinned. Will you forgive me? And he welcomes me back as though I've never left. He restores to me. He restores to you robe, your ring, your sandals. I don't know where you are today. You might have one sandal on, but man, this compromise here. You might have forfeited that right sandal for for a relationship you're in. You might have forfeited the ring for what you continually look at on the internet. You might have forfeited this robe because you just chose your business practices are wrong. Maybe your far off country is business trips. That you think I can go and just do whatever. Everyone here has a far off country that taunts them. Hey, it's better over here. This is really what you really want. Everyone has one. But by the grace of God, as we align ourselves with him every day, say, God, everything I need is found right here. I believe God has a great plan for you and your life and your family's life. But it all begins with understanding what is God really like. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.